Blog Talk Radio. Now let's join Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media as we explore the inspirational worlds of music, media, and more.
great song. Welcome to Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio, and today I have a very special guest with me, Ed Kleinman, who we are going to be talking about his amazing book, Joint Venture, a backstake, back, backstake, backstage rock and roll journey. Um, this is going to be a really cool show because he's going to tell us a little story about that opening song that we just opened up with. And... Um, Ed is a really unique person. He was just in the right time at the right place. And I'm going to bring him on because we've got a lot to talk about. So, again, this is Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio. The chat room is open. If you'd like to call in, um, our number is 347-677-1036. And if you'd like to go into the chat room, you do need to create an account. But we are live right now, and I'm going to bring Ed into the studio. And we are going to talk more about that opening song and his amazing <laughs> book, and we're going to talk about You're laughing at me. Ed, I, I'm just show. laughing. We're on the time zones, and I just flashed on thinking about that woke everybody up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. No, that song sounds like a song you would have heard of the Blues Brother movie or something like that. You know, it's very, like, very Blues Brother-like. It had that well, we all need stuff. love, don't we? We do. We yeah. definitely do. Um, tell me a little bit about that song, and then let's well, talk about who you are John, and about your book. Sure. Well, that, that was done by Rhinoceros, my the third mm-hmm. band I ever worked with, and I was their uh, tour manager at that time. And that's John Finley singing lead, and uh, John's still at it. He's still doing studio work, and he's still... Uh, lives in Toronto, but he uh, gets out to L.A., and he does various sessions here and there, and he's still at it. And I think that's uh, that says something for somebody. A little story there. When I was writing the book, I was looking for pictures to put in the book. And the Internet is a wonderful place. You put in somebody's oh, yeah. name, and, and they show up. Mm-hmm. And um, I found John. He sent me some pictures. We got to talking a little bit and stayed in touch, you know, maybe a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, and I hadn't seen him in 47 years, and out of mm-hmm. nowhere, I get a call saying, hey, me and my lady are coming to D.C. And, of course, I said, well, we'll meet you and everything. Bottom line is they stayed here for about three nights, and it was like there was no 47 years in between. We yeah, just fell so into was, each other. I totally it was get like, that. Yep. Oh. Yep. And that's what a lot. It's, it's a lot of people, I guess. One of the, you know, you've read the book, so you know there's lessons learned in a book. And and one yeah. of the lessons learned is building relationships. And if you build them right, they last. I mean, there's still other people that I worked for that I still talk to once in a while, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. And we had mm-hmm. it's a wonderful time. We went to dinner. We uh, we didn't go to D.C. with them. That was on them. That's only down the road because I'm based out of Baltimore now. But uh, it was just really, really nice. And um, it just goes to show you that the relationships count. And people should people in the music industry or any business, if you're building relationships, relationships keep them going because you never know where they're going to go and you never know when you need one of those people or they need you. It doesn't matter yep. whether you're in the music industry or you got a product or a service. It doesn't matter. You know, it's all business. It's all friendship, and you got to keep them going. Otherwise, mm-hmm. go try and find somebody. You know, 
and you know what? I think you and I are a lot alike. We like to have relationships with people, and we and and we're very there are very far and few in between that we really hold on to because there's a lot of crap that goes along in the music <laughs> industry, as you and I just have been discussing recently. Mm. And we know we know what's there, and it's the people that are honest and are loving and open and. You see them at their worst, and you see them at their best. And you know what? It wouldn't matter whether they were in their worst or their best place. We're always there for them. Yeah, they and, like you. You're, they're friends yeah. of yours because they're friends of who you are, not who mm-hmm. they are or anything. It's about you. And it's what you might them. be able to do for them. You know, well, do, if you do nothing for yeah. them, you know, it doesn't matter. Yep. You don't have to go yep. out of your way to do anything. You just They know you. You know them as who they are. And... That's important, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it was a, it was a good band to work with. Uh, I worked with them in 1969, actually, in the summer of '69. And um, the little story that goes with that group is uh, we were they they most of them lived together in this big house uh, in Mayapack Lake, right on a lake in New York, upstate New York, a uh-huh. little bit. And they were asked to do Woodstock. Oh, wow. And we all we were excited. I mean, look, it's up down the road, you know, it's Woodstock, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a big concert, you know. We heard the news reports. We needed a phone call from them, but they needed a phone call from the band's manager. And the mm-hmm. band's manager at that time was Sid Bernstein, and he was a pretty famous guy. From, he brought Sid, the Beatles I love over. Sid. Oh, he's a, he was a wonderful, wonderful person. Whatever got yeah. in the way here or whatever cup happened, Mm-hmm. He never called them to okay it. Um, we ended up playing a prom in Long Island, and uh, mm-hmm. the difference was Woodstock <clears> was <throat> going to pay the band fifteen hundred dollars, and the prom paid thirty five hundred dollars. And my lesson learned in there, you know, it's not always about the money. <laughs> it isn't. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, there. We were. We're everything was packed. The truck. Everybody was ready. And. Uh, it definitely bummed everybody out. It, it was, and the band not too long after that kind of disbanded and went their own ways. And even though they were getting a lot of play, they had an instrumental called Apricot Brandy that was being played on all the FM stations. The mm-hmm. band was considered one of the early supergroups. I mean, you had the drummer Billy Monday from uh, The Mother's Invention. You had mm-hmm. um, oh, the guitar player was from. Who didn't got it on Vita? I just went blank. <laughs> I just went blank. Oh, You're like terrible. me. Oh, I got it. I got I it. Know. Danny Weiss from from Iron Butterfly. Mm-hmm. I'm getting too old. The memory takes time to no, <laughs> find that no, brain cell that's got it. that information in it. And then the rest of the people were some people from a well-known Canadian band, which I don't remember their name. And um, yeah, things happen. There's no guarantees in anything you do in life. Well, I don't care what business mm-hmm. you're in. There's no guarantees. But if you got desire... There's no guarantees, but there's friendships. And there's things... There's friendships, and you know exactly. What? That, that song has so much energy. And like you said, <laughs> you know, being that it's East Coast time, and yeah, you know, we go on 5 o'clock East Coast time, 2, 2 p.m. PST time, and... Let me yeah, tell you, guys you are we are heard globally around the world. We have people. Oh, that's wonderful! I'm hoping that right now. 
some of yeah. the people I know that are that are in other places like England. I know some people in England, yeah. people in France. I hope they're listening. Yeah, I just did an interview with a gentleman um, on Peter Gabriel um, on Ooh. Wednesday and from England. He, oh, Daryl was amazing. He was an amazing, amazing interview. And let me tell you, um, we are listened to all around the world globally, and Fabulous. we're growing very fast. And all our shows are available on iTunes afterwards and on demand on Red Velvet Media Blog oh, Talk good, Radio afterwards. Good, so good. what's cool about the show is if you missed any of it, and I see some people in the chat room, so if you missed the very beginning, um, we are available on iTunes and afterwards on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. And if you want to call in and have a question for myself or Ed, our number is 347 See, for all those people, for all those people in the the European world, yeah, uh, I did man- I did manage the Stranglers who are still at it. They're doing their fortieth anniversary tour and still doing it. So uh, they were one of the people. I was a tour manager of theirs uh, back in oh, you know, seventy eight, seventy nine. I was a uh-huh. tour manager of theirs. It was one of these ones where uh, I got a phone call, and this happened quite a bit. Uh, I get a phone call from somebody I don't really know, but they they got my name from somebody else, and um, I get a phone call saying, "What are you doing?" Uh, and mm-hmm. they tell me who they are and everything. We got your name from so and so, and we're looking for a tour manager. Are you available? And for the Stranglers, I was, and uh, met, oh, wow. met them at the airport. And these guys get off the airplane, and they got these little shoulder bags, and I looked at them and I said, uh, "Let's go get your luggage." And they looked at me like, "What?" We're carrying our luggage. Aww. And I took a deep breath and I said, huh, we got a three-month tour. Okay. <laughs> I can handle this. You know, it didn't matter. I'll do whatever I have to do. You have to do the job right. And it turned out that mm-hmm. they just wore black pants all the time and black T-shirts. Ah. So, and, and they carried Woolite. <laughs> so they oh, washed wow. their clothes at night. Go, you know? But eventually, sounds- as time went on, I started uh-huh. a management company around 1980, and uh, they called up and wanted me to manage them, and we did. We ended up moving to England for a while and brought them in their biggest hit, uh, Golden Brown. And I'm still in touch with some of those guys. And we but, have you know, that song. We have that song downloaded. I have that song to play, and well, I still have um, a couple other songs. Well, let's but, go back you know, to the beginning. We, yeah, I want to I wanna hear, like, how this all started for you because when you and I spoke How about this book Yeah. You know when you it started, this is started your journey. When I was it started because I had an older brother. I have to blame him a little bit for this. <laughs> and I have to blame my mom a little bit. May they both rest in peace, but I have to blame her because she always had music on the radio. But I had a brother that was six years older than me and he was listening to uh doo-wop music back in the mid-50s. And there was a big disc jockey out of Cleveland called Alan Freed. And he had a, his radio station was also broadcast in New York. And we got doo-wop and we got Buddy Holly and we got uh, Bill Haley and the Comets and we got Elvis. And I used to have a, a pole, a mop handle <laughs> with a rope on it. And I used to play, we used to play Elvis songs, uh, you know, the Sun Session ones. And I looked like I was playing guitar, you know. And, uh-huh. uh, I was 10 years old. And I remember, you know, I even said it in the book. I remember my brother saying to me, you know what? I know you like all this rock and roll, but there's other music out there. 
come on into the kitchen. I want to play something for you. It's a radio he was going to play for me. And we Mm -hmm. went in the kitchen, and he turned on, which in those days they called Negro stations for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. And he turned on a station, and I got to hear some, besides doo-wop, I got to hear some heavy-duty blues. Oh, yeah. And some incredible stuff by uh, African-American blues singers and guitar players. And this Mm -hmm. whole thing started getting itself together. You know, I just started listening to that kind of music, and I had friends that were my age, and... You know, we'd buy 45s, and uh, my first 45 was Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers doing Why Do Fools Fall in Love. Oh, that's you know? great. Uh, so as as time went on, I got, you know, got into high school and met some people, and somebody turned me on to some jazz, and they turned me on. I like piano jazz, so I was a big Dave Brubeck and Ahmad Jamal early on, and um uh, then, you know, Nina Simone showed up <laughs> the jazz side. Mm-hmm. And these, this was stuff coming from friends of mine, you know. They were turning me on to all kinds of different music. And then the big thing happened. I started sneaking into the village, Greenwich Village. I'm ah. born and raised in Jersey uh-huh. City. You know, for 10 cents in those days, I can get on a bus, get to an area called Journal Square where all the buses came in. And there was this train, the subway, that would take me. And I could get off at 9th Street, and I'm in Greenwich Village. And I'd sneak over there and hang out in coffee houses. And what was that? This is like mid, uh, well, it was the early 60s. You know, mm-hmm. I was born in 45, so 55, 65. I wasn't 20. I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And I had to be home at a certain time. And my mom would scream and yell at me. And I didn't need that, you know. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'd be over there hanging out in a coffee house. And in that, that period of time, the early 60s, you had people like uh, Eric Anderson playing these clubs and Dave Van Ronk and Tim Buckley and Tim Harden and Richie Havens and Paxton. And I remember Peter, Paul, and Mary coming in uh, to the coffee house that was hanging out and playing and passing the hat. You know, and something was going on. Not that I knew what was going on, but it was kind of end of the beatnik era, maybe. I don't know, but there was a lot going on. And... Uh, I saw some of it, and I loved Greenwich Village. I loved the people that I met there. And um, as time went on, got out of high school and didn't go to college right away, went into uh, work in New York City and then met a couple of people because I can play chess, and they were in college. And I met one of their professors, and eventually I started going to school at night. And um, by 1966, I had uh, dropped out of work, everything else, and knew that in September of 66 I was going to start full-time college. I, it was my oh, choice. Wow. I wanted to do it. Nobody, parents, mm-hmm. nobody was pushing me. I wanted to do it. And there were coffee houses opening up in Jersey City and a few places, and I'd go play chess and, and be a folk singer. And I met a guy named Don, Don Johnston. And we got friends. He was from Jersey City. I was from Jersey City. And we both liked the village, and it was, you know, our hair was getting longer, and, you know, we're watching what's going on in the world, and the world was changing. And one night, he was playing at the club, the coffee house, rather, and he says, come on, let's go into the city. I got a friend of mine, Danny, you know, we'll go hang out. He's in the village. We'll hang out at his house. Sure, let's go. Yeah, I mean, where we were, we were 15 minutes from the Holland Tunnel, you know, and 10 minutes there. Mm-hmm. And we go in. And we're hanging out, and little odds and ends are going on, you know, <laughs> little hippie stuff going on. And 
All of a sudden, Don says to me, and Danny says, oh, we have to go over to this loft. We've got to do a little work. I go, what loft? Oh, it's just a couple blocks away. Come on. Oh, no. Is this I'll the open story up you told the, me? Oh, it's, right ne- it's right next. We go into this doorway to elevate mm-hmm. it, and I noticed that next door was a club called a Cafe Agogo, which I knew about. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lenny Bruce played there, people with music. You know, I had never been in there, but... We get on the elevator, and we go up about two flights, three flights. The door opens, and oh, my no. mouth drops. There is <laughs> organs, drums, guitars, amplifiers. There's all this stuff there, and it's all set up. And I said, what's going on here, Don? And Don looks at me and says, oh, I didn't tell you? I'm tour manager for a band called Blues Project. So I was being cool. And I'm not sure. I don't. I'm sure I remember back that far whether or not I I heard of them or didn't hear of them, but I knew I was uh-huh. being cool, like I heard of them. And uh, so he told me, he says, "Yeah, with tour managers, we play a lot of the few clubs in New York. We pay a lot of the schools and everything, you know. And it's a cool band. Why don't you, we're playing tomorrow night? Why don't you come and walk, join us?" And I said, "Sure. Okay. You know, where do I meet you?" He says, "Meet us here. We'll go all go to the truck together, you know, with the equipment and." You know, hang out and enjoy it and come on with us. Well, that led to more shows and helping Don, your friend, move equipment. I mean, you can't go and just sit there as a friend. You know, you go, you're traveling with them. So you help me move an amp, you do this, you do that. And I got into that. I got got into hanging out with them. And Mm -hmm. then at one point, uh, Al Cooper said to me, he was uh, the keyboard player and writer and part of the, you know, like he's the most talkative singer of the band, one of the, the lead singer, but they all sang their own blues songs or folk type rock, folk, you know, folk rock of sorts. But anyway, he says to me, I see you've been hanging out. What's your name? And I said, it's Ed. And he says, you're always hanging out with Don and everything. I know he's working. Do you want to work with us? I said, well, September oh, wow. I go to school, but yeah, sure. What do you got? He says, well, we'll give you $5 for food, $50 a week, $5 a day for food, $50 a week, and if we stay any place, we'll pay you any expenses. I said, yeah, but I'm going back to school. I said, that's all right. We can use you now. (laughs) And I started working, you know, and that, you know, in the beginning, I thought this, well, this is easy, you know, I mean, just do it. And I started learning some stuff besides how to change tubes. There were tube amplifiers in those days. Besides changing tubes and setting up drums and tuning the guitar and changing the strings, I started to learn that if you did this right the first time, if you really did it right and you got to the gig and everything was working and there was nothing broken, everybody's guitars and amplifiers, everything was tuned and running, you had an awful lot of free time to be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was like 20, 21 years old. Wait a second. All this stuff is happening in the village. The world is, you know, out there protesting the war. We're women's, you know, we're looking for equal rights for women. We're looking for civil rights. We're looking to end the war. The band is playing free concerts. There's all sorts of people around. And as Don mm-hmm. said to me, just remember, anybody asks you, you're with the band. Uh, well, 21 years uh, old, and you're in crowded Greenwich Village, and uh, you're standing out in front of where the loft is, or Cafe Agogo. Now you are in and out because they knew who you were, and the band rehearsed there and everything. Mm-hmm. Nothing like walking up to a pretty lady and saying, "Would you like to see the show? I can get you in. I'm with the band." <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. you're 21 years, 20, 21 years old. I mean, 
This whole new world is opening up. But what's real important is the show. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about the audience. It's about your fans. And you learn very quickly, everything's got to run perfectly. You don't want to listen to the band hassle you, why isn't this working, first of all. But they're the ones that have to put on the show. They're the ones that have to perform at not only at their maximum, but you know what? So did we. We had to get there on time. We had to be ready for sound check. We had to be ready if a guitar string broke, what to do? You know, switch mm-hmm. guitars. You, know, you had to be ready if something broke. I mean, I'll go mm-hmm. back to Rhinoceros for a second. I was tour manager, and, you know, that's a different ball game than being a roadie. And I was, besides being a roadie, I had done that thing. The drummer was playing drums in his, one of his, his most precious stand with a cymbal on it broke, and nobody could get to it to fix it at the time. They were running sound. They were running this, running that. I sat underneath that thing holding it while he played. Yes, me and him laughed a lot, but, you know, got a little deaf, too. But, uh, you know, you uh-huh. do what it takes to make it happen, and you do it right. And you do it right the first time, you're in great shape, you know? Uh-huh. You get your own free time, and you learn stuff. And that carried over over the years. And I think that, you know, I know when uh, Blues Project became Blood, Sweat, and Tears, I was offered weekend work. I was offered summer work. I was offered spring break. They knew I went to school. Mm-hmm. And one mm-hmm. of the most incredible period was when we did the Ed Sullivan show with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, which was the second band I worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the show, We had a big party afterwards. Uh, Bennett Glatzer, I think, was the manager. And it was a big party afterwards. And I was there and uh, having some fun and talking to people that I knew. You meet a lot of people a lot of performers, and you find out they're yeah. regular people. Most of them are regular people just like you and I. They really mm-hmm. are. What you see on stage is not necessarily who they are. That's their stage presence. But I was asked to go on a European tour, and I said, I can't. I'm going back to school, you know, going back into, you know, I chose this. I'm going back, uh, you know, I got like two more years to go, and I just want to do it. And you know what they said? Not only the manager said, they said, good for you. Do what you got to do. Stay in touch. And we'll mm-hmm. stay in touch. If something comes up, we'll stay in touch. And while I was in school, uh, let's see, Kent State, when Kent State happened, I still was friends with Rhinoceros. Um, they came over and played all day at the school because I went to school right in Jersey City, college there. So they came mm-hmm. over and played all day for free because there was a reason for it. And mm-hmm. again, back to the relationships. And I would get calls. Yes, yeah, so you carried it over. See, I just would get calls what... out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I got a call. Well, at one point, I got a call from a guy named Gary Van Syak. Gary Van Syak yeah. with Elephant's Mar- Yeah, he was listening. Yeah. Yeah. I worked. I wanted with, I, to ask you to talk about John. Well, I'm going to. I'm getting into that one. Yeah. Gary had a band. Him and the guy, a guy named Adam. Adam Ippolito. Mm-hmm. They were in a band called Pig Iron. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being their tour manager, and they were managed by the people that managed Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. And they're great people to work with. I mean, I can't complain about anybody working with them. I mean, there's some little odds and ends that go on, but 
I remember us doing a um, a show, and I think it's, it's I think it's called Soldiers Field in Chicago. Monstrous place. I've never done work with anybody that played that big of a place. I mean, we're just one of many groups on there. I mean, Iggy and the Stooges were on. Uh, mm-hmm. Leon Russell was on, and, uh, and it was a it was a revolving stage. So that one band that would be playing, the next band would be setting up behind them, but you couldn't see mm-hmm. them because of the curtain. And when it revolved around, myself and a couple of roadies we were holding some of the equipment so it wouldn't tip over. You should have seen the look on our faces when we turned around and there were thousands of people out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, whoa, where'd this come from? But you got a job to do. And I stay, you know... That kind of ended. Uh, I did a few other odds and ends type of work, come up, a group called the Albert. There were various people that I get these jobs for. Uh, one of the summers, actually, uh, it would have been the summer of, let's see, Rhinoceros, probably the summer of 68. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got, besides doing some blood, sweat, and tears work, I ended up working at the Cafe of Gogo. Mm-hmm. And my job at the Cafe of Go-Go started out being at the door, telling people, guess who's playing tonight? Bob Dylan, Birchie Havens, you know, come on in. It's $5 or $3, whatever it was, some cheap Wow. Thing. That was my job in the front. You know, talk to the people that walk by, try and get them to come to the club. And when I got there one afternoon, you know, I'd get there about 5, 6 o'clock, you know, for work the two shows at night. Barry Imhoff, who was managing, was the manager. And we're talking, and I said, oh, Barry, i got to move my car before it gets towed and I get a ticket. And he looks at me and says, you got a car? I says, yeah, I can drive in every day. I'm only alone, live across the way in, in, in Jersey City. You got a car? I says, yeah, what's up? He says, you got a different job. You, you get here to work at you know 10 o'clock in the morning. You're going to be the one I'm going to send up to the record companies and get all the promo stuff. For the bands oh, wow. that are playing, you'll be the one that'll make sure that they got everything they need, that the sound check, the sound is working, everything works. Okay, <laughs> you know that was cool. So I got a very, I got a very large record collection. <laughs> you go to yeah, record no, companies, you get the, everybody raids that raids the cabinets that you know whoever you're dealing no, with, I, and you I meet more people. Raid. I would love to raid your record record collection. That's for sure. <laughs> I but, want you know, to hear you, about what happened with Gary when you met well, him in the seventies. Later on, we 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 got to be friendly. We stayed in touch. Um, mm-hmm. I graduated college. I spent the year thinking that all this music business was fun and games and over. College is over. And since I couldn't get a job in my degree, I started mm-hmm. you know substitute teaching, and I started getting these jobs. You know, getting these calls. Christmas time, you know, can, oh, I need you for a weekend. Just from different odds and ends, people. And then at the end of the year, I said, I had enough. And I ended up moving to California. I had been out there with some friends, and I had a friend out there, and we decided to, three of us were going to get together and get a place in San Francisco and live. And my friend Marty, uh, he had quite a bit of money, you know, uh, from whatever you know, he was uh, came out of Vietnam and stuff like that, and we started promoting shows at a place called Bimbo's, and we promoted uh, who'd we promote? Um, oh, 
Big Brother in a Holding Company, uh, Beautiful Day. We did a few shows, mm-hmm. and we did okay with them. But it was it was still having been out there and been on the road and been a tour manager. You kind of knew what was going on and running a show. You knew mm-hmm. what you had to do, you know, and you knew how to get the right acts, and you knew the promotion you had to do, and you know, because you dealt with it before. From the other side of the as a tour manager, you're dealing with all of that. And roadies are getting the show going, but you're getting the band there. You're getting the money that's being paid. You're paying everybody. You know, it's all on you as a tour manager. You know, and you learn a lot from. I learned a lot from various managers also, which became you know as you saw in the book, lessons learned that you can use in any business. Absolutely. I can't, after about a year, I came back, and I drove straight across. I was about sixty hour drive, me and uh some woman, I can't remember her name, but she was going to New York and I said, Okay, let's go, I'll start I'll drop you off in Manhattan. <laughs> I'm going to Jersey City, you know. Um so I was sleeping, I got a phone call. Uh, it was Gary. And mm-hmm. Gary how you doing, Gary? And I said, um, don't mind me, I just you just kinda woke me up. He said, well, I didn't mean to wake you up, but do you need a job? You doing anything? I said, I just got back from San Francisco. I'm trying to sleep it off the drive. He says, well, we'll we need a tour manager, and uh, me and Adam want you to be it. And I said, okay, for what? He says, we've got a band called Elephant's Memory. There's a few more people you've got to meet. Can you come over to the village tomorrow? And he gave me an address on West 4th Street. And uh-huh. I went. And, you know, and I don't know what it was all about, but I knew Gary and Adam, and those were good guys. And... I walk in and it's kind of a was a garage. There was a place you can park a car, and then behind that there was a open room, and they had all their equipment set up. But that didn't bother me anymore. I'd seen enough of it over the years, you know. He had a band. This was his rehearsal studio, and I got interviewed, and everybody asked me questions, and you know, the drummer and the sax players seemed to be the people that might have been running the band. They asked me. Everybody asked the questions, and finally they turned around. They said, "Okay." We want to hire you. This is what you're going to get paid. And I forgot what it was, but uh, whatever it was, it was fine because I wasn't working anyhow. And then they turned around and said, and by the way, we're the backup band for John and Yoko. And I went, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) Nobody Mm -hmm. had said anything throughout the whole interview. Gary, Adam, nobody had said a word. And I think I understood why they didn't. They didn't want to... You know, they wanted somebody to go do the job and not just do the job because uh, or think they could do the job because they're backing up John and Yoko, you know, the the local Mm -hmm. plastic Ono band. And Mm -hmm. uh, that went on for a couple of years and uh, was interesting. A lot of studio work with John and Yoko and a lot of on the road with uh, Elephant's Memory. I mean, we did a lot, yeah, look, a lot of shows. I'm looking at that in the book. It's on page 44, believe it or not, and that's really odd because a 4-4 came up earlier today, <laughs> and page 44 is all about your introduction into uh, with that Gary world. and with yeah, that, that whole was world. that world, you know. That's really crazy. That's crazy, and uh, it was you know, and I still I talk to Gary once in a while. We run into mm-hmm. and I, I on Facebook, and uh, he's got he's got an album out now that he did of yep. various uh, yeah various um, out, various yep. people that he did. In fact, one of the bands he played in um, 
he took over the bass player's job and was my first band that I ever managed called Everyone. Mm -hmm. And there's a few tracks with him on that, but he wasn't in the band at that time. Um, well, they're great I wish he people, was. <laughs> Gary and Eva are really sweet people, especially Eva. Eva mm -hmm. is a very good friend of mine on Facebook. Good, and, um, good. She, she, I saw ch chirped in today and said she couldn't wait to hear the interview, and I'm hoping that she hears this <laughs> Eva hi. Well, we'll and, all say hi to Eva if you're listening. Yeah, and, and that new CD that Gary just came out with has a song, some songs on there dedicated to his wife, Eva. Yes. And yes. Um, have you heard them? They're really Yes, really no, they, cool sent me an, they sent me a CD. I'm having fun. I've been listening I to it in my car a lot. Yet, but amazing, very good. amazing songs. And I think what a great tribute to her, but... Being able to work with John and Yoko and well, Gary and the other band members and then working with Blood, Sweat, and Tears previous like this. Well, I'd like to go back go back a little bit to the, the Elephant's Memory, John and Yoko. Trip. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I was blown away by how somebody by the name of John Lennon, I mean, we know him from mm -hmm. the Beatles, we know him in his New York, you know, it was like everybody kind of, thought he was you know he's the new york beetle we want him how he was able to handle the pre the i call for lack of a better word call it the pressure of everybody wanting him whether it's mm -hmm. the radicals that wanted him or whether it was the television that wanted him or this one wanted him and that one wanted him or this television show for a week or that television show for a week how he handled that was beyond me i mean i've seen i saw a lot he'd go in that studio and he knew exactly what he wanted I was just blown away and had been in studios before with lots of different people. He just knew what he wanted, and Yoko knew what she wanted. Whether you liked mm -hmm. her music, didn't like her music, it didn't matter. But there's one person, as a, as a road manager, you know, you're asked to do a lot of different things. We need this, we need that, we need this. You know, Can we get us this? Run down to John's house, there's somebody down there who needs a guitar, he needs this and that. Um, they had a... John had and Yoko had a woman named May Pang working for them as their assistant, and I'm still friends with May, and we we just talked the other day. She was the most amazing person under that group there, uh, whatever you want to call it, under that umbrella if you want to call it, to get things done. I saw so many people come and go. Uh, you know, oh no, I work for Yoko. I can't do this right now, or I'm doing this. Or I can't. Everybody had something else to do than what needed to be mm -hmm. done to get the session going on, or whatever needed to be done. Except for me, if you asked me to get, some, she was brilliant. She's brilliant. I'm so glad that she's got books out there, and I'm so glad we're still friends. Mm -hmm. Same as with Gary and these people. It's just, just. When you when you're working, you're trying to get stuff done. You don't need people pushing back and telling you we can't. It's teamwork, mm -hmm. and you saw that in the book. There was a thing about teamwork when Strangler's equipment got stolen after their first mm -hmm. show in New York City. And we have uh, you know two three month tour to do. They said they wanted to do it. I was their manager. We said we would back it. The road crew knew about it, and we made it happen. And it was teamwork. It was such a good teamwork that when we got to L.A., my, I had a partner, in, a silent partner in, uh, my, when I became a, my own management company. And he came down to L.A. and he gave all the roadies a couple hundred dollars apiece to go have field day on their own because they did such a good job. <laughs> you know? 
but the thing is, if you want to get the job done, work together and get it done. If you got a team, mm-hmm. if you're working by yourself, make it happen. You know. You, you know, gotta, in your book, I want yeah. to ask you when. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different years in this book that you mm-hmm. went through, and a lot of different experiences and stuff like that, that you've gone through. I want to ask you what part of the book. What I mean, what's really cool about this book, guys, is there's some really great photography in here, too, as well. Um, that's never been seen. I love the photography. And I want to ask you, when you were composing this book and putting it down as your memory and, and everything, were there any particular parts of the book that you really enjoyed writing more than the others and that you could tell us a little bit more about? We have a caller on the more. right now. You know, who's calling in? Hold on. I there. wrote Let the I wrote the book. I wrote the book while I was in Florida, mm-hmm. and prior to going, another friend of mine who did the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and another friend of mine had said, and their names are in the book, but they had said, "Why don't you get this down before you forget this stuff and you get yeah. too old to remember it." No, I hear you on that one. What I found. Let's see who's on eight five six. One second. Hold on go, one second go. here. Let's see who it is. Eight five six. You're on the air. Who's this? Yeah. Hello. Hi. Who's this? This is Puggy. Is Eddie there? Eddie? Eddie's here, Puggy. <laughs> how you doing, oh, my Puggy? friend? Puggy. Yeah, hi, Holly. Facebook too. Hi. Holly, hi. how you doing? I'm glad you called in. Tell everybody who you Holly are, and I, we never, Holly and I, you never met, but um, I've been following you here and there. Eddie, I'm not listening, but I just saw that you were on. I just wanted to wish you the best of everything. I love oh, you. Oh, I'm glad you called. I'm, you know and, we uh, touch base once in a while, and I'm glad, yeah. you know, I, lo- I love the pictures that you put on of your kids and that they're doing great, and I know you're yeah, doing well, good. I love the book. Puggy, why you know you I tell do. us who you are, what you've done? I'm sorry? I'm sorry? Tell everybody who you are and what you've been doing. Yeah, as an old friend, Eddie, we worked together way back when, uh, we're tight friends, and uh, right now I'm doing, uh, believe it or not, I'm doing Neil Diamond's catalog, still in uh, in rock and roll, more or less, but it's been going good um, one day at a time. I just wanted to call real briefly. Before you you go, Puggy, let me interrupt. Puggy and his band, everyone, were the first band that, after I was out of the Elephant's Memory and all of that, was the first band that I worked with to begin my management company. Oh, and awesome. we got we got along various ways and there were various changes that went on, but me and Puggy still friends. Yeah. Puggy, and, I love uh, Neil Diamond. I love Neil uh, Diamond. Oh well we'll have to we'll have to do something soon, but let's just get back to oh, Ed. Ed, I love uh, you. I yeah. wish you the best to everything, man. You know I do and we'll talk soon, okay? We'll talk. Thanks for calling in. Hi. Right. God bless. God bless Holly. Uh, you too. Bye. Bye bye. He's so sweet to call in. I can't he believe he's, catalog- he's working on Neil Diamond's catalog right now. That's awesome. Yeah, no, he does. He does the Neil Diamond shows. You know, he does Neil Diamond songs. Uh-huh. Uh, he they're in my Neil book. Neil Diamond and, uh, rocks. They're uh, when people read the book, they'll see what I mean about. Uh, it had nothing to do with him. It was other people in a band, but they, I found them mm-hmm. to be have a fear of success. I did get yeah. them to do it. I got them to a CBS record deal, four singles, which would have been eight sides. And I gave up my percentage to the guy, John Padell, who put that deal together for me. And these guys went to see Johnny and said, John, we know you helped Ed get the deal. We want you to manage us. And John turned around and said, 
If Ed's not your manager, you don't have a record deal. They didn't get a yeah. record deal. I walked uh-huh. on them because I couldn't trust them at that point because you don't know where it's going to go. you got to trust the people as you're growing, you know. You screw uh-huh. something up early, early on, you don't know what's going to happen when things get, you know, if they get to a heavier, more complex site. And uh, I just called it Fear of Success because they had incredible tapes. Todd mm-hmm. Rundgren did tapes. Jimmy Iovine did studio tapes on them. A couple guys from the Rascals did studio tapes on them because I had them playing clubs in New York. And they never went off, as far as I know, they never went off to try and get another manager to help them get another record deal. And oh, wow. uh, to me, that was just fear of success. I mean, they were good people. I don't knock them. They did what they had to do. And it's a lot of years ago. So, you know, that's the little story. Oh, and that story's awesome. in a book. I want to say another really quick announcement again. This is Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio, and we have Ed Kleinman with me today. We're talking about his book, Joint Venture, A Backstage Rock and Roll Journey. And I put the link up in the chat room, and if you'd like to call in, our number is 347-677-1036. And um, Let me, let's see what else. If you I'd like to go back and show. answer your question. You had that question about what about the book. Yeah. And as I was, here's, here's the crazy yeah. stuff. So I got I got to say it was the whole book because – here I am on the beach. I'm reading mystery stories on the beach for a couple hours, and I got a pad mm-hmm. with me. Nobody told me to take a pad. You know, I was writing. Somebody, my my friend Lee, who did the cover, he said, "Find a time of the day to write, and that's the time you write every day at that." Time. And I did. I did two and a half months every single day at the same about nine thirty in the morning. I'd clean out my emails and I'd sit down and I'd write, and leave it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, all written on the computer. I couldn't mm-hmm. read my handwriting anyhow. I had a few pages of notes that I did in 2006 when we were in Mexico because that's when these people started talking to me. But anyway, here I am on the beach reading a mystery book, enjoying the sunshine, and next, all of a sudden, boom, I'm going to get out the pad, and I'd write something down. I remember running into this person, or I remember a show we did here and the date. And pretty soon I had all these little piles across the table, the dining room table in the place I was staying. This is 1972. This is 1975. This is 1979. This is 68. And it became the entire book that when I got done and I came back home, I had over 40,000 words written, had no idea where I was going to get pictures, but I knew I knew pictures. I eventually got them, but uh, as many as I could. I couldn't get, uh, couldn't get, uh, what, did I have Blues Project? No, I couldn't get Blues Project. I couldn't get Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I think I got the rest of them mm-hmm. that were available. Oh, and I couldn't get LeBlanc and Carr. And that's a that's an important story that I'll get to in a minute. But it was the whole book. I sat down and I said, I don't believe I did this. And yeah, found a publishing company, but I, ha- I found a neighbor of mine who knew a lot of the music who also was an editor and we were able me and Diane were able to work so well together that I just loved the way it you can tell me and people that read the book I think the book reads like you and I are sitting down having a cup of coffee and you're saying Ed I heard you're in the music industry what was that all about you know I know I'm rambling on the show but <laughs> you got me thinking about everything like that. you know mm-hmm. But let me give you the saddest part of uh, my time on the road. This was unbelievable. I I looked at it again today when I was 
just putting some stuff together, and I said, I almost had tears in my eyes. I was working as tour manager for a band called LeBlanc and Carr. They were having a mm-hmm. big hit called Falling. Mm-hmm. Single, big hit. They were managed by a guy named Peter Rudge. And Peter Rudge had, I think, the Stones and the Who for the United States. He had Leonard Skinner for the world. He had 38 Special, the Dingoes. And I was a tour manager for LeBlanc and Carr. Mm-hmm. We were the opening act for Leonard Skinner's uh, big tour. This was going to be a world tour ending up in Hawaii. And it was going to go on for eight, nine months or something like that. Um, playing big halls. We weren't playing halls. They were playing big arenas. They were well-known, Leonard Skinner. And we're in Miami, outside of Miami. Uh, a little, you know, right around the Miami area. And it was like a 25,000-seat hall, sold out. And uh, we did our bit. And I went backstage, you know, had to wait till everything got done till we can get on the road. Um, Cassie, the lead singer's uh, sister. Hold on a second. Oh, I had it someplace. Well, Cassie was one of the background singers. Her brother was the lead singer. She was crying backstage and moaning and groaning. and I mean, this was really upsetting watching her. She did not want to get on the airplane. No airplane for her. She just we couldn't figure out why. She just didn't want to get it. She said something's wrong. I can't get on the airplane. I can't get on the airplane. Oh no. But they put her on the airplane. And that airplane crashed. <sighs> and we didn't know because we were driving, they were flying. They were flying uh up north a little bit to do some studio work and they were gonna meet us in Baton Rouge for the next show. We were driving from Miami and in those days, you know, you didn't get anything on the radio. <laughs> you know? Once you got away from any kind of major city, there was nothing on the radio. Uh, and we got to the hotel, and the hotel person said, "Did you um, did you hear what happened? Said, what happened? What do you mean? What do you mean? What happened? World end?" And they told us the plane crashed. And she was one of the people that died, and that was the saddest time of. Uh, being on, you know, being on the road. I mean, it the shook girl, us all up. We got off the road. Out. What? The girl that didn't want to get on the plane, she did get on the plane? They made her get on the plane, and she died in the crash. There were a few people that died in the crash. And it was like, our, we ended our end of the tour. Uh, Peter Rudge was brilliant. I mean, I think... Uh, Sorry about the beeps there, but I'm not going to. It's my phone. I'm not answering it. Um, I think Peter Rudge did. He did a lot of families. He did a lot of stuff that was going on. He, uh, I something tells me that he went pretty under having that you know happen to him. I think it devastated him. I think he spent an awful lot of his money in trying to just help everybody out, and. Um, he was a he was just a brilliant manager, and one of the mm-hmm. things I learned from him, and I think everybody needs to learn, something happens, and it's not about you, it's not about the money you lost, it's about the people that you're managing, it's about them, and what can you do to help the people that are so called your clients in any business, mm-hmm. you know, 
But that was the saddest, saddest thing that I think it's one of the saddest things I've ever experienced through any kind of work type of, you know, arena, you know. But that was that was amazing. Uh, just knowing yeah, I, that's pretty I stood there. So she actually the, felt it. So she oh, felt, I felt it the big time. We all did. We all did. Mm-hmm. And we'd gotten to why know did these. they get on the Why did they get on the plane then? I don't know why. None I, of I them really were tuned in. I, I don't know if she was forced, not forced. Uh, they convinced her. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody's mm-hmm. trying to call me. I don't know why, but uh, I'm not going to. Well, we're doing an in interview, so that's yeah, right. I mean, I'm a, so for those folks that are listening, thank you very much. For those folks that are listening, and I apologize <laughs> for my fo- somebody trying to call me on my phone. No, no one. We can't hear it. Oh, well, we good. We can't hear it. Not on good, this end. Don't worry about it. Uh, I hope they leave a message. <laughs> or maybe well, not. Maybe I don't want to know who it is. They will. <laughs> but you know, but that, well, that's the saddest part of the book, and I hate to bring that up because the rest of the it was fun. In the early days, uh-huh. I thought it was just, for lack of a better word, I just thought it was a game. How did I fall into this stuff? I'm running mm-hmm. around Greenwich. Oh, you know, we're based out of Greenwich Village, based out of New York City, and meeting all these people from other recording artists. You know, being able to sit down and have a drink with Jim Morrison in a bar, just the two of us sitting there waiting for the rest of the road crew to come, you know, or uh-huh. you know, or Jimi Hendrix backstage at the Cafe of Gogo when he quit uh, being the opening act for the Monkees on their tour, and just the two of us sitting down, and he was just a mellow guy as far as I knew. I mean, uh-huh. somebody asked me what show I would like to see again if I had the opportunity, and uh-huh. that would be the show. I'd like to see him again play at the Cafe Agogo, which only hold, held 200 people. That was brilliant. It was brilliant that he just got up there and got to see him close up. You could see him sweat. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of things that um, a lot of people, it's funny, we're going back. We're going back into the classics. A lot of people that really did the rock and roll, that really mm-hmm. did. Like, they just did the CBGB Festival. They just, there's right. a lot of things going on in the world, and there's a lot of really, like, classic rock and roll is coming back. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I just saw a thing that the Blues Magoos are back. Uh-huh, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know whether I read they had a new album or not. I'm not sure about that, but I'm sure that'll pop up on Facebook. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of people coming back, and uh, there's good music that was made in those days. And not that the music today isn't good. There's mm-hmm. lots of people that I like these days. I mean, I'm, I am a fan of, uh, oh, let's see, Lake Street Drive I like. I like uh, the Lumineers. I like Mumford & Sons, Lady Antebellum, people like that. But I also like uh, the old folks that, you know, I'm waiting for Neil Young's new album to come out. There's a new one coming. Yeah, there's a new I one. I saw an interview out. with him the other night. You know, I'm a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Neil's so. awesome, and the thing is, there's a lot of really great concerts that are coming out now. Like when they do Farm Aid and all the people that are mm-hmm. the classics that are coming out. Jackson just came out. Jackson Brown just released some new Well, stuff let me too. tell you, I got to give you a Jackson Brown story. My wife will love this one to, that I'm doing this okay. on the air. We saw him do, he was here twice in the course of a couple months. Mm-hmm. He played a uh, one at a big concert hall here. It was a charity. And we went to see him solo. He played his band with him. Then we went to see him solo 
oh, it can't be more than, you know, if it's a month ago, at a, one of the theaters here that they have plays in. And because mm-hmm. my wife bought the tickets, so wherever she bought them, they came with a surprise package. We now own six coffee cups. Two of them broke already because handles were broken, but six coffee cups that say Jackson Brown on them and two carry bags that she's got one with her now because she's off with a friend in Cape May having a vacation, which she needs, mm-hmm. she needs uh, from Jackson Brown from the concert. We got his new album, which anybody wants to hear, it's a great album. His new album's great. Wow, and he's back. yeah, definitely. And he's going to tour with his band next, coming up. And, uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, so that's I'm pushing great. Jackson Brown. I mean, the guy, the guy's great. He's been great. He's written, he writes great songs. And he looks good. Yeah. He looks like he's, you know, he's, he's finally aging a little bit, and I feel okay about that. We all age I have a, a bit. lot of his unpublished lyrics on the back of napkins because we used to sit and do pars late at night, and he would oh, write lyrics. Yes. There's a lot of people that uh, artists, it's really funny. Like I was going to say, a lot of writers, what they do is they'll think of something, and all of a sudden they just, it's, it it could happen anywhere, and then they'll uh, just go ahead and they'll start writing lyrics on the back of napkins. I can't tell you how many napkins. You're right. I've I seen that so teeth. many times. Yeah. In, in the early days, they did it in the early days. There was a place mm-hmm. called the Tin Angel across the street from the Cafe of Gogo, and downstairs there was a bar that I can't remember, but it had peanut shells all over the place. Can't remember the name mm-hmm. of it. But. So many of the people they'd sit there, you know, have a drink, they have their coffee, their beer, or whatever kind of drink. And next thing you know, they're turning a napkin over and they're writing their stuff. That's what mm-hmm. I felt like on the beach when I'm reading this book. It's mystery books, thrillers, and I'm pulling this pad out, scratch pad out, and I'm writing a little note that's got to go in my book, and it's got to, you know, it's got to go in the right chronological time order. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, you know, and then as we're talking, you know, eventually I got. Um, Here's, there's a story in the book about how I got my management company. You ready for this mm-hmm. one? Yeah. I'm out with a folky named uh, Franklin McCare. Just me and him and his guitars. And we're in San Francisco, and of course I invited my old roommate, him and his girlfriend at the time, come on over to the show. Eh, nice folk place. I can't remember the name of the place right now. It might be in my book, but... We did this whole thing, you know, and did the show, and I introduced him to Franklin. We got back to the hotel. Marty and his girlfriend came over to the hotel, and I'm taking the money, and I'm putting it in an envelope that I kept in my locked-up attache case and uh, getting out the book and adding in whatever it was that I had to add in, you know, keeping track of the money. And I looked at him. I said, Marty, give me a couple of minutes. Because he wanted to go have a drink and have something to eat, you know, some breakfast. It was, you know, maybe 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I said to him, give me a couple of minutes. My, I've been on for the last two months we've been on the road. And everything is added up. I'm missing 25 cents. And he says, well, I'll give you 25 cents. He said, I said, Marty, I can do that too. I can go back up with 25 cents in a kitty. I said, but somewhere I made a mistake in my addition. i got to give me a break. And this went on for more than 10 minutes. Finally, I said, okay, I'll look for it later. And we probably spent a half hour, 45 minutes. A couple of months later, I get a call from him. 
And he says, hey, Eddie. Hey, Marty, how you doing? What's happening? He said, I got a question for you. How would you like your own management company? Dead, I had dead silence for a minute. I said, what? How would you like to have your own management company? And I says, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it, but what do you mean? He says, well, anybody that can spend that much time looking for 25 cents, I think I can trust my money with, and I'm willing to invest in it. And I said to him, I said, well, I don't know what it costs. He says, can you find out? I said, that I can do. I know a good accountant, and I know a good lawyer. And I went to both of them. I talked about it. They worked together, and they worked out a deal. And I called Marty up, and I said, Marty, this is what they're telling me. They're telling me it'll cost about $200,000 to get started. And Marty mm-hmm. said, I'll be on a plane, set up a meeting. I'll be out there next week. And he came out, and there was there was just let me back up a little bit. There was a, a guy that I'll, well, I'll get to it in a second. I mean, I'm getting a little lost here, but he came out. We worked out the paperwork. He got 51% of the company and no say in running the company because he had no music, he had no background in music or in what you know, entertainment or anything, and he was willing to do that. And we worked it out where I would take a salary. And that all the money would stay in a bank and accountants. And I did this because you can get caught up. I've seen too many people blow too much money that I would come with my receipts and a report every week on what I needed to check for. And if I needed to check during the week, I, they would make sure that I had to explain to them that this was a legitimate check. I was not going to go spend this money and all of a sudden wake up one morning and we got the money. And he loved that. They all loved it. And I took a small salary, and I had my taxi fees and rent and stuff like that, phone bills and all paid. And our first act that we got was Jerome Braley and Mutiny. I had worked for about six months with a management company when I finally got off the road. And that guy was managing Jerome Braley, and they did an album for Columbia. Well, Jerome didn't. Jerome wanted to leave. He knew that I had my own management company, and he left Robert and joined me, and we did another Columbia CBS uh, album. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the Stranglers knew that I had my management company. They called up, and I ended up having Jerome Braley a mutiny, who I still talk to maybe at least once a week now because I'm giving him some advice. He's got another couple albums in the can. Just giving him some advice, you know. It's free advice. Um, I had John Cale that came out of Velvet Underground, who lived mm-hmm. up the street from me in the village. Mm-hmm. He lived up the street from me and who eventually became my wife. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, the Stranglers wanted me. And they broke away. And I went to England. My first question to them was, can you guys still play? Of course, mm-hmm. they got... I learned that in, in England... It was called taking the piss out of when they got on your case and tried to get you to laugh and you thought they were serious. Um, but I went over there. I spent the week with them. And, yeah, they could still play. You know, we did the cavern. We did a bunch of places around. I went on tour with them for a week. And I said, you guys still can play. Um, and I called up my lawyer, and my lawyer came over. And we sat down with their lawyer and broke all the contracts that they had with their past management company, and we got the money released that they were holding on them. We got um, 
the record company to release. They were with EMI. We got the record company to release the money that they were holding up on the band. Uh, made sure they had the right tour. You know, my lawyer came over for a week. We got everything done. I stayed there a little longer. Made sure everything else was working. Made sure that the agents were doing what they were supposed to be doing, and they were. They had a really good agent. And I went, came back to New York, and back and forth like every three, four weeks, till eventually. I said to my wife, well, she wasn't my wife yet. I said, she was working with me. She had worked at some uh, booking agents, record co- she had worked at uh, Arista, a couple record companies and some agents. And mm-hmm. she, I stole her and she worked with me. She was incredible work. But I said, we've got to go move to England. And she looked at me and said, I'm not moving to England unless we get married. Oh, okay, let's get married. We've been married 33 years now. So oh, wow. it worked. It worked. But... Uh, we went to England, and we uh, managed the Stranglers, got them all set up, got them a new publishing deal. Uh, I met Richard Branson, who's one of my heroes, but he wouldn't Richard's make the publishing. Richard's great, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, he was just a class act. And uh, mm-hmm. EMI made the deal I was looking for. I was looking for a $200,000 deal and 15% off the top that they can use for services and Whatever you know, pay them. They can make some money off of it. And they went for the deal because the Stranglers sell a lot of records. They sell a lot of albums in Europe. They wouldn't come to the United States, which eventually we threw our hands up. I said, I got a record deal for you, $50,000 on Sire Records. You don't have to pay the money back. One album deal for this La Folle album, which has got your biggest hit you ever had on it, the single, Golden Brown. And... Um, if you're not going to come to the States, you don't need me anymore. And we shook hands and we just broke up and I, we moved back home. And that was kind of the, the end, becoming the end of being in the music industry after 18 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was coming to the end. But uh, that was the other ones. I think it was, again, uh, fear of success. Two of the guys wanted to go. Two of the guys didn't want to go. And they said, if all four don't say yes, we're not going. We're making lots of money over here. It wasn't mm-hmm. the money. Is why not have an opportunity with Sire Records, which is a perfect label for them, to get known worldwide. And you know they're still playing. Though. So whatever whatever they've done, they did what they had to do. And I hope yeah, they're happy with it. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. It's not all me. You know, it's uh, I did what I could do, and I knew where I could go with it. And uh, you know, you can only twist arms so much, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, or I wrote it to you. It's okay to walk away. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't fit anymore and it's not right and you're not com- completely convinced that this is the way to go, walk away. You know you're really in business if you can walk away. No, absolutely. anything you do. We, we, talked, you know, about, and, and, we talked about that, yeah. Yeah, one of my lessons learned. Yeah, one of my lessons learned is uh, Mm -hmm. number one of the lessons learned. You need desire. You need commitment. Be committed to what you're going to do legitimately. You don't be committed to do whatever it takes, but you know, let's not go to jail. And you Mm -mm. need self belief. Even though there are no guarantees, go for it. And you need those three. If you've got that. You will be energized. You will be strong. You will do what it mm-hmm. takes 
doesn't mean you're going to make it. doesn't mean you're going to be everything you put out is going to sell millions of records or your product is going to get bought by the whole world or your service that you're doing, whatever service, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, or an Indian chief, is going to get spread around. But as long as you're yep. performing at your maximum and you believe in yourself, and I think some of these people didn't believe in themselves. They might have had the desire, but not enough, not strong enough. But who yeah, knows, think, you know? I think you're right on that one. I want to say know. really quick, um, if you missed the beginning of the show, it will be available afterwards. We have about we have about 10 minutes left, and I want to say really quick, I forgot to say at the very beginning of the show that I wanted to also say um, today is a beautiful day, but we also lost someone very close that's a very, very much was somebody in my life that I didn't even get the chance to tell you about. Um, Dr. Um, Emoto, who was an author, entrepreneur, and um, was a water advocate, and he would take water crystals, and this goes back to music. He would take water crystals and expose them to certain music, and the uh. water crystals would form out of the energy and the structures of the water um, with the music and with words. And it's really interesting, some of the water crystals that came out from Imagine, uh, the word John Lennon, and stuff like that. Dr. Moto left us today, and it's really sad. Um, He is an amazing, amazing man, and um, he's published several volumes of work about messages from water, which explains about, you know, it contains photographs of water crystals, essays for words and intent. He's mm-hmm. he's gone. He left today. So I just wanted to acknowledge peace. that. Uh, he yeah, he's amazing man. So I just wanted to say that really quick because oh, I had um, wanted to say that, and I totally spaced out on that. But um, <laughs> well, that's all right. Yeah, but this book of yours now for everyone. I did put a link up. It's available on Amazon.com. It's available yep. at BarnesandNobles.com. Yep. I, for those that are out there listening, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, the, if there's anybody out there that you know never heard of some of these bands, I think you might find it fun listening to some of their music. It, it's all over the place. The music. It's rock and roll. It's jazz. It's jazz rock, folk rock. It's a little bit of everything. It's yeah, a little bit of is. everything. The people I worked with, I knock on wood. Overall, they were really nice people to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just. We got the job done, and you know, uh, it was my pleasure to do it. Uh, I, I learned a lot. The book has lessons learned that you can use in any business, and I have. I mean, for the last 20 years, I've been doing executive business coaching in the Salesforce development arena, mm-hmm. uh, working with people all around the world, coaching them. Um, Anyone wants to get in touch with you, how we shall, you're on Facebook, too. How I'm would you Facebook. go about um, having anyone you could, get in touch with you? My email is Ed Kleinman, K-L-E-I-N like in Nancy, M-A-N, at T B A. L-T-D, that's T like in Tom, B like in boy, A like in author, L like in Lucy, T like in Tom, D like in dog, dot com. And, uh, yeah, give you my, you know. Reach I'm, out, I, reach out. Reach out. Reach out, reach out. Uh, yeah. I will answer emails, uh, you know, if 
we talk, if you give me a thing, I'll give you some, you know, a phone number to talk if we need to talk, but uh, I'm not going to do that over the air. I don't want a million phone calls. Yeah, no, you know, I wanted to tell you also, you know, this week, this weekend, like I think it's today and yesterday, Beatles Fest is going off in L.A. Um, so Nancy, Was it this weekend Andrews, or was it last weekend? I think it's was this it, weekend. I'm not sure because I know uh, Billy Armada was doing something with that, but you yeah. know, enjoy it. It's I, I wish everybody out there just keep on rocking, get involved mm-hmm. in it. Whatever you're doing, have the desire, have the commitment, do it right, perform at your best, no matter what you're doing, and follow mm-hmm. your dreams. Those dreams will yeah, happen. No, absolutely. Follow. You know, don't one let anybody favorite, get in your way. You know, one of my favorite lyrics is. Um, is from a Rolling Stones song, Ruby Tuesday, Lose Your Dreams and You Will Lose Your Mind, you know. What a great um, line. That's right. Yeah. Right on. I love I love that. That's always been my favorite. Uh, and you know, real quick before we end the show, I want to say next week, um, I am on Tuesday I'm gonna do a special show on Tuesday with Al Sutterwhite on his new project on the Muhammad Ali book oh, um, yeah. that he's gonna be putting out. And then wow. on Wednesday, I'm going to have Luke Potter live from the UK with his new music. And then on Friday, Steve Conte from, uh, we'll be doing Steve Conte. I think he's calling in from Iceland. Wow. And then on the following week, I'm going to have, yeah, Fred Lyon, um, who did a, who is an expert on San Francisco and the photography. He took some classic, amazing mm. photography. And then on Friday, believe it or not, it's going to be Halloween again on the 31st, and it will be my traditional Halloween show with Les Thomas, who's going to be joining me, and that's going to be really fun. We have some really great surprise guests. Everybody tunes in on my Halloween show. I do a really fun Halloween show. Halloween's one of my favorite holidays of the year, (laughs) because it's so magical. It's so magical, you know? It's um, a really cool thing. So on your book, you know what's really cool, guys? I got Ed, Ed sent me a copy of his book, and he's got these really cool postcards and these really cool little laminated things where you can download the book too if you want to um, uh, for the e for the ebook. So I'm sure if anybody out there is uh, close friends with you, that's <laughs> the little. If they're real close, if they're close friends of mine, they already have the book. <laughs> yeah, no, and you know, I want to ask you. Um, you know, talking about today's music and because of everything that you've done and because of all the stuff that you've been around since we have a few minutes left, I want to ask you, what do you think about today's music as far as um, compared to what you worked with? Because I like music straight across the board. Like, I like classics. I like rock and roll. I like rock and roll classics. I like classical. I always listen to French Swiss radio. Um, on the classical music because I understand it, and then I also um, just like the music. It's just really cool. And another one is prog radio, out of uh, you know the Morrow radio. Yeah, but no, I, what do you I think, think of it? Today's music, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it's very very well done. I think there's mm-hmm. there's stuff out there that sounds a lot like uh, some of the seventies eighties stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If people are listening to it, there's a whole generation out there that is listening to it. I'm older, mm-hmm. you know. I like it across the board. Like I said earlier, I like people like Mumford and Son and uh, the mm-hmm. Lumineers. I think have got a great sound. I listen to a lot of music, and but one thing I do 
those. I don't. I I buy the CDs for mm-hmm. a reason, and then download them onto my iPods and stuff. I think I got mm-hmm. eleven and a half thousand songs on my iPods, but I buy the CD because I want to support the artist who did the the cover, the people mm-hmm. that are involved in it. Because if yeah, the mm-hmm. artwork and whatever is going on, whoever else is involved in the CD. People know can open up the little book and try to get the magnifying glass out and read the uh, lettering. It was easier when they were albums. But I want whoever, whatever's generated there, I want it to be generated. I don't want to download it off of uh, an iTunes track. You know? Yeah, me neither. I'm the same so way. I own, I'm old own, school. You know, I like to have a CD in my hand, even though people do buy me. Yeah. Digitals, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Digitals are cool, but you know what? You lose the essence of actually holding yeah. it. That's why yeah, we no, told you have an extensive vinyl collection. I'm yeah, like ready that, to come over and go through it. I've you got it. I got, yeah. a lot, I got a lot of uh, CDs too because I buy the CDs. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that's just a, that's what I do. So it, you never know what I'm going to hear. That's a brand new artist that's going to turn me on. I mean, I buy stuff because I like one song I hear. Mm-hmm. And then hope the rest of them are good, you know. And they usually are. I mean, I don't, I don't have any. I can't complain. I can't complain. You got to tune in Wednesday and hear Luke Potter um, from the UK. He is amazing. I could say his music reminds me a lot. Well, it's his own style, but when I listen to some of the tracks, it's very early Avril, Avril Lavigne in a male in a male uh-huh. type. Huh. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool and. Um, you know, I'm like really into the classics. Like I like Camel and Marillion mm-hmm. um, um, and um, Barkley James Harvest. You know, these are all things that I really like because I like really, I like the European stuff. And I must say, there yeah. are quite a few people in the chat room. And for all of you that tuned in late, you can listen to the show again on iTunes afterwards. Just real quick with you, did you read? You saw the Billboard thing that's in. In there, when we came back from England, mm-hmm. I got interviewed by Billboard, and I'm talking about bands that I was hearing in the UK and in Europe yeah. while we're living over there that weren't even being played here yet. There is mm-hmm. stuff goes on over there that is a va- more a little bit more advanced time wise yep. than here, and you'd be surprised, yeah, like you said, you'd be surprised what's being played over there that eventually will make it here. Some of it, anyhow. It's always been like that. Well, you know, I was really surprised. What, that's- that's why people like you and I are really integral to the music industry because when I go over there, like, this is what happened. I heard a band over there, and they hadn't really gotten a lot of airplay here in the United States. Well, I said, do you have any CDs, promo CDs you can give me? I can drop them off. I canvassed the whole radio stations all in L.A. and got them to play them on the college radio stations and here and there and everywhere. And now this band is like a household name is is being they are going on lots of tours. Great. And it's it's like it's like that that one song or like you going into maybe an open mic night like in in Europe somewhere and mm-hmm. hearing somebody and yeah. then coming back and saying, "Oh my gosh, you have to hear this person. This person is unbelievable." Hmm. And you know that happens. I just extended our time by a few minutes here. So <laughs> I got a, a feeling longer. you did. No, I, I had appreciate to because, this. You know, there's so much here. There's so much uh, to go over. But you know, um, getting back to Leonard Skinner and um, uh, stuff like that. You know, they uh, played. 
they played up here at the Harvest Harvest Festival. Yeah, this still is, what's left of the band is still around. Yeah, that are a couple doing years it. ago. Just a Let sad me tell thing. You, I was there. I was there with Dean Markley, and um, from Dean Markley, you know, strings and, and his guitars and stuff. And we were all backstage, and Doobie Brothers had just played before. They had one of their members recently pass on, and um, were there, and it was pretty cool. It was a really cool concert. Yeah. A lot of really cool people played. Um, Good. And yeah. last year, Melissa Etheridge played, but I tell uh-huh. you, when Leonard Skinner came on. And they cleared the whole backstage area. Their trucks are just unbelievable. Their tour trucks, they are just like a <laughs> class act. Oh, yeah. Um, Been at it a long time. Unbelievable music. And yeah. so for me to say, who do I like today, like, that I've been hearing new, um, you know, there are a lot of a lot of female artists that are out that are that I really I like, like right Lord. now, too. I like mm-hmm. Lord. Yeah, she's she's okay. I want to see she, where she goes. That's what's got me in. What's what she going to do next and next? You know, is she going to just disappear? Yeah. Or she keep on going. Have you heard of Christina Novelli? Have you heard her music, Christina no, Novelli? No, I haven't heard that. Music? No, I haven't heard that. Uh, her music. That's a new amazing. name. Now, see, these are all. This is all European stuff. Yeah. And then. Um, then the other stuff that's out there that that is just like breaking on the scene right now, and the new YouTube stuff is amazing. I really like it. I don't think there's anything wrong with them giving away their music to the listeners. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the hassle. My my wife's got. You know, she it didn't. It didn't download to her phone. <laughs> you know? Oh well, you know what? It's in the we'll iTunes get it. store. You yeah, get it we'll get it. iTunes store. You just go there and it's there. But um, there are some killer oh. tracks on there. No, I want to hear. Um, I want to. I haven't heard it yet, or I may have heard some of the tracks on a radio station. We have a very good radio station here. It belongs to the college. It's like an. It's like an NPR station, but it's it's all music, and it's part of the college here. And it's WTMD, and they do. A, mm-hmm. They play a lot of stuff from all over the place, and it's the only station that you know, I really listen to. Um, well, you know, also what whose music I really liked is Alan Parsons' music. Yes. I yes, love Alan Parsons. Yes. Alan is a good friend of mine too, and he's such a great guy. And um, and then also there's so much other real. There's new stuff. I mean, and then there's yeah. going back to the old stuff like Bad English. Um, you know, a lot of people don't talk about Bad English or. What are you doing? Are you moving around in your chair? I hear you. No, I'm just wa- I'm just walking a little bit. I'm gonna. <laughs> are you? I gotta t- I gotta turn off a phone that's ringing. Your other phone's ringing. The house phone. Um, yeah. I know who it is. And you know, I really like I like Cat um, Stevens, and oh, you know, I, like I you know, everybody lot, goes huh? and says, oh, you know, da 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 da. Uh, you know, you know, I don't, I don't even that. And you know, Cole plays cool, but you know, I'm a diehard CSNY fan, and um, Dan Fogelberg. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, have you read and, their books? Yes, I have. Graham Nash's book is really good. Graham, did you see his art exhibit that he did? Uh, no, I didn't see that, but I read his Unbelievable bio. Unbelievable at the Morrison. And I read Crosby's latest bio that mm-hmm. he did. Um, mm-hmm. I read a lot of bios. I got a whole bunch of them. Pete Townsend's bio I found incredible, same as Keith Richards. Incredible information that they were given, and Townsend gave up some information that uh-huh. I didn't expect him 
to do that. And I was, you know, I like reading the books about some of the people, you know, Clapton's book. You've got to read the new Billy Idol book that's coming out. That's I just like, saw an ad for it. Yeah, that, that's on my list. I just saw an ad the other day in, uh, I don't know, whether Rolling Stone or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like rock and roll music, rock and roll books to read. And, and this Peter Gabriel book that I just did an interview with, I need to get that to you because yeah, delving I'll into Peter, Peter was a very, is, is a very heavy, um, intense person. And he basically really put his family before a lot of things. And he left Genesis for a very short time. Mm-hmm. Because after his child was born, he really wanted to pursue the family life, and then he went on to do his own solo, um, solo yeah. projects. Yeah. And then it talks about how intense he became with certain things, and it's it's pretty intense. Some of the stuff that that he actually mm-hmm. has done, you know. Yeah. Um, but a lot, but, of, yeah, a lot of good stuff going on out there. There's a lot of there good is. people still show them back up and I'm just glad that we have we and everybody out there no matter what generation mm-hmm. you're in no matter what you you have access to so much information so much music and there's more and more coming we don't know who the next star is going to be mm-hmm. if there's going to be a next star but there's good music out there old new and stuff we're not even hasn't even been written yet and mm-hmm. that's that's the important stuff is uh what comes next and what are we going to be clapping our hands to and wearing out this vinyl or wearing it since vinyl's coming back, <laughs> wearing out the vinyl, vinyl, wearing out the CDs. Or, yeah. Vinyl is coming back. I know, um, I, don't know I know. I've seen the book 545, but Spencer Drake did that book and it's really cool. It's got a lot of yeah. um, album covers in there. And yeah. you know, um, you know who we forgot to mention? Who did we forget to mention? Talking about people that are doing pho- photographs and stuff. You know who really, really kept John's stuff alive besides Yoko? Bob Gruen. And May. May. And Payne, May. Oh, I absolutely. Really. May. Love May. Oh, She's absolutely. Done an May job and Bob Gruen. Keeping it alive. Yeah. Yep. And you know and who else is doing a good job with the Beatles? Mm-hmm. Shannon McDonald. Shannon's amazing. She's voted the best Beatles artist by the mayor of Liverpool. She's I've unreal. I got her. I, I I was able to get a hold of her uh, 50th anniversary poster. Oh, the poster? Love it. And she signed it for me. I, it's framed and it's hanging on a wall. And mm-hmm. I protect it with my life. I mean, she is so good. Yeah, so she's good. funny. I talked to her and... Um, I talk to her and Jen all the time, and she tells me about going on and painting people's guitars, and she just did a project with Gene Simmons yeah, and just got back. And I'm, I'm I'm assuming that she's probably at the Beatles Fest. I'm not really sure, but Don't know. I know that she was voted the best Beatles artist in the world by the mayor of Liverpool, and she has a whole corner in the Ca- Canyon Club that's been donated just to her and her art. So and she's got the uh, Beetle Hotel. Yep, yep. There's amazing she's people amazing out there. She's an amazing person, amazing Sometimes person. I'm in awe of that I even know them well enough to be able to say hello and they know my name, you know. It's just yeah. like, I mean, sometimes, again, I'm in awe of what we just spent an hour and a half. I know. I've been on here since since 2 o'clock. and. Um, well, I know well, I, my clock has got it at six, almost six thirty. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Um, 
Which, which song did you want to end with? Did you want me to end with, um, let's see here. Tell me what you got. Um, we, we opened up with I Need Love. That's um, I have um, The Blues Project, and I doing what? have The Stranglers. Which one? Which one do you have by The Blues Project? Um, let's see here. You know Hold on a second. You got, gold, you got golden brown, don't you? Yeah, I got golden brown. Let's, and I got end, let's end with like The Stranglers a, because that's the last band okay. I worked with. Let's end with, we well, started with one of the early bands. Let's end with The Stranglers, Golden okay. Brown. It's not a heavy rock tune. It just was a big hit over there and uh, Europe and England. And uh, I'm so, I'm proud of them doing that album. And I'm proud of that we were able to uh, bring it in as one of their biggest hits they ever had. So that's a good one to end. I want to thank you. I want to oh, thank please. all the people out there that uh, are listening. You're the folks that count. I've had a good time, uh, more than I can ever explain to anybody. You've been great. And we're, you I know, know so this has been fun. It's and been so a I lot of fun. I yeah, know people are going to tell. Some people are going to tell me I rambled too much, but what can oh, I no, tell you? no, 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 no. This is good. This is like you and I having a conversation, like over coffee, like we talked about. The joint That's venture. It. Is a book about um, Ed's journey from listening to the music of his brother listening in the mid-50s to working in the music industry from the 60s to the 80s. He's got the stories in here regarding bands, entertainers he worked with. We got a call today from our friend Puggy, who works now with managing the catalog of Neil Diamond. And um, you've all, it says here that you've always enjoyed wow. music from the blues and jazz. And... Uh, he spent 18 years working on the road with bands, starting out as a roadie, then becoming a tour manager, then finally and then, owning your entertainment company. So, you know, I want to thank you book, guys. and a few of the people that, you know, I'm still friends with. John, who sent over, uh, John Lynn yep. Finley, uh, May Pang, who's brilliant. You know, I'm so glad that Love we're still May. friends. Gary Van Syak, yep. his wife, you know. And, and Gary and Eva. Puggy and yep. the people that, people that I worked at. It's nice that you can stay in touch, you know, whatever. I mean, I got you out of there in 1984. Else, oh, that's what I wanted to mention to you. Two other people that are really intricate and really important if we're going to talk about that whole John Lennon crew is um, oh, my whole my mind. Um, Dennis Ferrante, who's amazing, yes. amazing, and yes. also Jimmy McElliott. I want to mm-hmm. say Jimmy's awesome. What a great guitarist. And um, his lovely wife, Joanne. And they are just such great people. And and the thing is, these people all really stay true to what they're doing and stay true to rock and roll and the true uh-huh. reason for doing yeah. certain things. You got it. And I oh, lift Alan my Davidson Jackson Brown on. coffee cup up to you. just happened yeah, to have um, one here. <laughs> I was drinking cold coffee out of it. But I lift. I toast you. This is oh, the yeah, no, Eddie. Thank you. Thank Ed, um, you so much. Ed, Alan Davidson is in the chat room. He said for me to tell you, hey, Eddie, it's <laughs> me. Can't hear the show. Bad connection. Alan, if you want to call in, um, you can call 347-677-1036. If you can hear me, let me type it into the chat room. Oh, Alan, my old, old friend. Uh, six, He's seven, before seven. rock and roll days. One zero three six. Call us. I'm typing it into the chat room. Yeah, what did Alan work on with you? 
Nothing. We were just friends. <laughs> we worked on just oh, goofing off. Oh, that's great. See, part of that. You can remain friends with so many people. And I hope so. Again, I mean, it's 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 you know they're real friends when you can forty years later or, for, or longer you can call them up and you can find them online or whatever and you find them. Oh go, yeah. Any, you know. or you go, Alan. You know, it's wow. It's just when you know I, that's when that I means left something. LA, no, when I left L.A. and I moved to the beach, and I, I knew who my real friends were because they were the ones that came down on the weekends to visit me, and I can't even tell you how many, uh, very, many of the musicians that we've talked about today in our conversations have sh- have shown up and played at my house and played on the beach, and and <laughs> I grew up, my neighbors were um, was were the Sublime family, so I had Brad mm-hmm. next living next to me broad was alive and yeah, I miss uh, it was a pretty it was a pretty pretty intense time so yeah, i'm not no, I'm, sure I'm, if you can hear it alan if you can hear us call us three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. and i have to tell you the chat room keeps filling up and emptying out but for everyone that listened in the chat room right now if you missed the beginning of the show it'll be available immediately on itunes afterwards and on yeah. red velvet media blog talk radio I, I miss uh, New York yeah. a bit, you know, because I'm down here in Baltimore. I don't have that access yeah. to some of the things and some of the people I know up there. I do get up yeah. there, you know, a few times a year, though, and I like to see some of the people and go to some of the places where they hang out, you know, where I probably would be hanging out. And you miss a little of that because it's, a, mm-hmm. you know, in Baltimore. And I work out of my house. I've been working out of my house for the last 15 years, 16 years. So you work them by yourself. Uh, yes, I talk to people around the world, but you know, it's yeah, not like no. being able to go out and have a, a beer with somebody and uh, goofing around hearing some music. You know, we get to some concerts down here, though. It's I can't complain too much. I don't want to do that. That's great about having Skype. You can talk to anyone anytime. Except that's my right. Skype got hacked recently. Thank you very yeah, much to the unknown person that I know what yeah. it was, but um, it's okay. You can set it up. Um, yeah. It's 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 all good. It's all, yep. it's all good. So did so, Alan make you know it what? or no? Alan is not responding. He told well, me good he luck, Eddie. He, <laughs> he had a he had a bad connection, I guess. I'm gonna have you back because we want to. I definitely Anytime. have so much more to talk about. Are you kidding? Anytime. This is great. It's my pleasure. And you take care of yourself. Don't let anybody rock your boat. Nope. Anybody's gonna rock your boat, you're gonna rock your boat. Just keep rocking out, smiling, yep. and being good people. I know. That's what it's all about. And it's also Friday, guys. Don't drink and drive. That's all I got. And <laughs> have Don't a good weekend, all. Yeah. And, and um, thank you for everything. Wherever you are in the world, and yep. I want to say to everybody regarding um, the state of the world, which we're not even gonna get into today. I just want to say, everyone. Pray for a divine intervention. That's all I can say right now is pray for a divine intervention. Um, be safe and yep. let's, let's and go be out aware. with Golden Brown. Be aware. Yep. Let's do that. Thank you so much, and Ed. I ho- and and I hope everybody that, everybody that picks up the book or something, I hope you enjoy the journey. Oh, yeah. It was as much as I did living it. And Holly, thank you very much. And we go out You're on Golden so Brown. You're so welcome. So Hold on. We'll be talking. I'm going to play this off for you. Yeah, and you and I will talk over the weekend or something, okay? Yeah, we will. Okay, no guys. All right. Here you guys go. Don't go anywhere, Ed. No, I'm not going anyplace. 
Hold on. You've been listening to Red Velvet Media with Holly Steffi. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time. Track.